Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give somebody a high five and say, forever, forever. Well, hey, this has been a great series as we just dug into Psalm 23. We've been talking a lot about shepherds. We've been talking about the good shepherd, Jesus. Come on, we've been talking about sheep and the behavior of sheep. And, and uh, one of the things that we talked about in week one, which we're going to kind of pick up and take our cues from this week, is we talked about how sheep are one of the most productive of all livestock. In fact, it doesn't cost very much. They're not, they're not very uh, expensive to keep fed or keep happy. They're not too hard hard to take care of, and uh, as long as they're following well. But uh, one of the things about sheep is that they are highly, highly, highly productive, and they are very valuable. Everybody say valuable. Sheep are incredibly valuable, and you wouldn't think that, but but sheep are good for their milk. Come on, they're good for their meat. They're good for their wool that you can harvest, you know, probably at least once a year. They're good for so many things, and uh, and but the productivity of a sheep is absolutely dependent upon following a diligent shepherd. And so a sheep is no good on its own, right? If a sheep isn't led well, if it doesn't have good leadership in its life, then a, then a sheep is just kind of out there. It doesn't have any kind of defense mechanisms to defend against wolves or people that would come to try to steal it because sheep are valuable, right? Because sheep are valuable. How many know that there's always somebody out there trying to steal sheep? Come on, so there's always somebody out there trying to deceive sheep. You know why? Because they're valuable. That's the reason why the devil hates you so much is because you're so valuable to God, because you're so valuable and useful, because you can be so productive. So the enemy hates you so much because of that, because God, listen, God is going to, some of you are like, why does all this stuff keep happening? Because God wants to use you as an instrument of vengeance upon the devil. So you get to decide how you're going to be used. You can be used as a tool for the Lord, or you can be used by, as a tool for the enemy. Amen? And so you are built to be productive. You are incredibly valuable. And a, and a shepherd, listen, a shepherd will go through extreme measures. Everybody say extreme. Like kind of one of those monster truck things. Extreme Sunday, Sunday. God, God goes through extreme measures to make sure that his sheep are well taken care of, that they're fed properly, that they're defended, uh, come on, that they're, that they're nourished. So he will go extreme, extreme, extreme measures to protect his investment. Everybody say investment. Did you know that you are God's investment? That God is invested in you. Did you know that, that for, for a moment in time, the greatest moment that has ever happened, the greatest moment that will ever happen has already happened? 
Did you know that 2,000 years ago, heaven was bankrupt for just a moment whenever Jesus died upon that cross? God saw you. He said, man, I'll give it all. I'll give it all for you. I'll give everything. You're so worthy. You're so worthy that I will take on flesh, and I will die for you. That's how valuable you are. So if you ever have one of those, like, pity me days, you know, poor me, just remember how much God paid for you, how much he paid to have you, how much he paid for you to be in his possession. And it's good to be in his possession. In fact, it's the only way that we can be truly productive. I said truly productive. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 31, God says this. He says, you are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God. And he says this, I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So he's like, this is the way it is. You're mine, and I am yours. You belong to me, and I paid a high price to make that happen. And listen, because because that reveals that moment when Jesus died for us, it revealed the greatest expression of God's goodness And it was the greatest expression of God's mercy. The greatest demonstration of God's goodness has already been taken care of. And his greatest act of mercy has already happened. It happened on the cross that day. Come on, are you with me? And so David says it this way. He says, surely, because I'm connected to God, and I know his goodness, and I know his mercy, because I know that, surely, it'll follow me. With that word goodness, everybody say goodness. Goodness is tob in the Hebrew language. Now, tob, you learned your Hebrew for today. Tob is, means good. <laughs> good means good. It's, it, it can be used as an adjective, as a noun, or an adverb. And in the wild, widest and most extreme sense. So it's not just, when you think good, and we think good two ways, right? We think good of excellence, and then we think good as moral excellence, Right? And so when you think about God's goodness, there's nothing gooder than God. I'll just use that word. Gooder, gooder. It gets gooder and gooder. There is nothing gooder than God. God's goodness is the only, listen, God's goodness is the only pure form of goodness. Our goodness, listen, our best effort falls so, so fell in comparison to God's goodness. It might be good compared to the guy down the street or the person sitting next to you, right? But in God's in comparison to God's goodness, it fails so small because in God, there is no sin. There is no darkness. There is no poor motivation. Come on, God's goodness is the best goodness. It's the goodness. So if you're looking for, for, for goodness in this life outside of God, it's going to fall short. It's not going to be the best goodness. It's th- this goodness that we're talking of is the highest excellence of goodness. It's good, good, good. It's prime good. It's kingdom goodness. It's as good as it can get. It's not to be confused with average or mediocre. Yet some believers live life like that. They think God is good. That means like, ah, oh, God is just nice. He's aight. Right? No, no, no. God is the highest of good. And the good thing about God's goodness is it never runs out. <laughs> he don't stop being good because you had a bad day <laughs> or a bad week. I love how God reveals to us in Exodus chapter 33 that God's glory is God's goodness. See, Moses, Exodus 33, is telling the Lord, he's like, Lord, 
like we did their worship today. He's like, show me your glory. I want to know who you are. Right? Show me your glory. I think Moses was yelling at the top of his lungs. And God said, all right, I will allow my goodness to pass in front of you. See, God's goodness is his glory. And we talk about mercy. What is, what is mercy? Mercy is, is unfailing love. It's loving kindness. It's steadfastness in love. I, I, I wrote this down for you. Listen, mercy is a continual flow of loving expression. Pay attention. A continuous flow of loving expression, loving affection, even in reaction to the opposite of treatments. Even in reaction to the opposite of treatments. Other words, you're not good to me, I'm not going to be good to you. That's not mercy. Mercy says, you're bad to me, I'm good to you. Come on. See, human mercy means I won't punish you for doing bad. So this is human mercy, right? You're driving 40 in a school zone. School zone's 20 miles per hour. You get pulled over. Oh, he didn't see the sign. Sorry, I was looking at my phone. Don't tell him that. So he, <laughs> yeah, double whammy. He pulls you over, and he comes up. You know you're getting a ticket. I mean, you know you done did it. How many of you have been there before? Or passed through that school zone and glad, glad he didn't see you. Yeah, I know it was an accident. I know you didn't do that on purpose. So he pulls you over. And what do you hope he'll do? You hope he will extend mercy. You hope he'll say, I'll give you mercy today, right? I'll cut you some slack, right? I'll let you go. And uh, that's a human version of mercy. However, heaven's version of mercy is like this. Heaven's mercy means even though you have done bad, I will still offer you my best. So instead of you getting, mm, come on, so instead of you getting pulled over for breaking the, fine, breaking the law and getting a fine of $400 or whatever the fine is, the cop looks at you and goes, you shouldn't have done that. And you're like, I need some mercy. And he says, all right, here's $400. That's what heaven's mercy does. Even though you've done bad, I'm going to take care of you. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to give it to you. So heaven's mercy means even though you've done bad, I offer you my best. I offer you my goodness. His goodness. So mercy does not retaliate. Mercy does not react. See, we know this about God. We know that that God does get angry. He does get mad. He doesn't stay mad. Some of you think God's always in a bad mood. That's a bad perception of God. God gets mad. Scripture says it this way, that his anger lasts for a moment. Just a moment. But do you know what's new every day? His mercy. Every day he's got new mercy. Every day God wakes up in a good mood. (laughs) Every day. Even even though you sinned 50 times before you crawled out of bed. (laughs) God's in a good mood. Look at your neighbor and say, God's in a good mood. And then many would say, well, what about justice? Right? Because, see, we always want justice when somebody's sinned against us, but we always want mercy when we've sinned against somebody else. Isn't that true? We don't like to, we, we, we like to see justice. I want to see some just. Do you really want to see justice? See, there is a court in heaven that has perfect justice. 
perfect justice. Not just justice for the things that you've done, even the things that you've thought about doing. Even when you've done the right thing with the wrong motivation, there's a courtroom for that in heaven. Perfect justice. However, at that throne of perfect justice, there is a man who is full of perfect mercy. And so you get to choose in this life, will I pick perfect justice or will I pick perfect mercy? Mercy is a man. Mercy is Jesus. And Jesus is standing before the Father on your behalf so you can get mercy. Amen. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Our tendency in life, talking about mercy, we're talking a little bit about human mercy and heaven's mercy and heaven's goodness and human's goodness. And our our tendency in this life is to follow goodness and mercy. Right? I'm going to hang out with people that are that will cut me some slack. Right? I want to want to hang out with people that are good, people of moral excellence. Come on. Also, people of just excellence. Right? People that do the right thing with the right attitude. Come on. But our, our tendency is, is to always chase what's better, right? Show me the money. Come on. This is, a, this is our chase. We chase to be a recipient of goodness, don't we? We want a better job that pays better. Nothing wrong with wanting that. Listen, we follow opportunity. We follow the best deal, the best offer. We chase approval. We chase love. And sometimes, listen, sometimes those things show up in your life as the favor of God. But sometimes the goodness that's in your, the quote-unquote goodness and the quote-unquote mercy that you're seeing in your life is not really a result from God. It's a result from your ambition. And it's actually, there's a, there's a, a superior goodness that you can experience, but you're content with this inadequate goodness that you call blessing. That's not even blessing because you got it with ambition. Now, there's nothing wrong with ambition. We need to have ambition. The problem is, is when our ambition is misdirected. Y'all okay? Listen, we are busy, 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 busy in an effort to be productive. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars in order to be productive. Nothing wrong with a good education. Nothing good for wanting a better job. Nothing wrong with those desires. However, our core ambitions, how are they driven? It's, not, it's good to be ambitious, but what are you ambitious for? What are you chasing? We talk about ambition. That's what we're saying. What are we chasing? You say, well, I don't know. Well, ask the people around you. They'll be able to tell you what you're ambitious about. When I was, I've been in the ministry a long time. I was actually doing ministry before I knew the Lord. Remember that? My dad's here this morning. It's good to, always good to have my dad in church. He, he remembers this. I was doing ministry before I even knew Jesus. We would serve sidewalk Sunday school, and we would do all this ministry at church. I, man, I played the game really good. But when I came to Jesus in 1993, I really knew that God was calling me into ministry. So I went into ministry, and I was ambitious, man. I was like, I'm going to do this for God. I had my vision. All these things are great. I had my vision written out. I was like, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to change the world, Jesus. I saw this ambition. 
But the problem was, is like it was a little misdirected, right? So like I was so ambitious about changing the world from, for God that I would run over people to do it. Because the vision isn't the thing I'm pursuing. It's the people that I'm impacting. That's what needed to be the vision. So I would hurt people's feelings, and I would say cutting things. I'd be rude to people, and I was arrogant, and I was prideful. Why? Just out of ambition, because God had called me to change the world. So I'm going to step on everybody I can to do that. So ambition that is not driven to benefit others is driven in the wrong direction. And that's where mine was. It was really all about me. It wasn't really about Jesus, and it wasn't really about people. It's about what I wanted to do. How many of you have been there before? See, it's one of the things that I noticed during that time is that there were some good things happening, but goodness wasn't flowing. Goodness was forced. Any good thing was hard to get. So I preached 10 times more on, you got to work hard. You got to work hard. I had goodness, but it was a work of my life, not a fruit of my life. It's likely that the only fruit that will come out of force is frustration. Highly likely. I know from experience. I spent my early 20s very frustrated. It took a pretty heavy event in my life. For those things to be broken off. But I learned. (laughs) Still learning. Come on. Listen, if our ambition is for Jesus and his kingdom, then we don't have to pursue goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy will pursue us. That's what the psalmist says. Goodness and mercy will follow me. I don't have to look, spend every day looking, 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 searching, 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 searching. I can bring those things out of my life. Jesus said it this way, seek first, Matthew 6, seek first. He's talking about these people, they're like, well, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to have clothes? How are we going to have food? How are we going to take care of ourselves? Don't we need to have ambition, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, but you need to have it like this. Seek. First, the kingdom. That's who God is and everything that God has. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that stuff will take care of itself. Be ambitious, but be ambitious about the king and his kingdom. Then everything else will follow. All these things will be added. Goodness, mercy, peace. You don't get peace by chasing it. You get peace by chasing Jesus. So he says this, it will follow me. See, goodness and mercy follow those who follow him. As believers, we don't chase blessing. Blessing chases us. We have to stop seeing ourselves as consumers of blessing. I just want God to bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Lord, I just need a blessing. Lord, you know what you need to do? You know, <laughs> you know what you need to do? You need to ask, ask the Lord, Lord, let me be a blessing. I want to be a blessing, Lord. We, several years ago, 
we uh, we were taking a trip. I don't know. We take a couple of trips to El Paso every year to see Leslie's family. And when we, every, my dad taught me this: that when you go on a when you go on a trip, a road trip, you pray with your family. It's just what you do. So we we do that every time we leave. We turn the radio off and tell the kids to be quiet, <laughs> and we pray. We say, Lord, just pray that you protect us. And send their traveling mercies in your angels of protection, hedges, you know, all the weird stuff. And so we pray all that crazy stuff. But this time we prayed, I remember very specifically, we're sitting there in our parking lot, our, our parking lot, our, our driveway, parking lot, same thing. So we're sitting there in our driveway, and I said, Lord, help us to just be a blessing everywhere we go. And it just, something stayed with me. And so we went on that trip, and we were, I remember that trip, particular trip, we were kind of taught for money. And uh, the church, we were, I think we are in the middle of building or something, the church was kind of struggling financially. And so we went on this trip. And that was our prayer. Lord, help us to just be a blessing. So we're on this trip, man. And every time we turned around, it seemed like somebody was giving us a check. It's like, we like checks in the hand. You know what I'm saying? We were like getting checks like crazy. Like we got a check here from somebody for like $200. Got another check for like 100 bucks. I think somebody handed us a wad of cash. Like, we didn't ask anybody for anything. The lady gave us $500 for the church, maybe even 1000 that time. I don't remember. But, but all this money was coming in, it was for, not just for us, but for the church. And I, I remember when we were driving home, I remember thinking, you know what? You know what we prayed? We prayed that we would be a blessing. We weren't, we weren't looking for blessing, but blessing was looking for us because we seek to be a blessing. See, we've got to see, stop seeing ourselves as consumers of blessing and start seeing ourselves of co- as co-providers of blessing. Who can you bless this week? Maybe you don't have money. Money, money is, is not necessarily a sign of blessing. Are you tracking with me? Sometimes it's a substance from your, you. Bringing somebody joy will, will do a lot more for them than bringing them a handful of cash. Let's just be real. Maybe you just need to be nice to somebody. Maybe you need to exercise forgiveness to somebody this week. Maybe you need to be, spend on the phone with some time on the phone with somebody that you find a little bit annoying this week. Just to be a blessing. In ancient literature and, uh, and agriculture, sheep were considered to be those of the golden hooves. I want you to remember this. Those of the golden hooves. And so what would happen is if someone had some barren land or land that was getting kind of dried out, land that needed some work, what they would do is they would call a shepherd. Or they would send for a shepherd. They wouldn't call him. Or they'd call him like this. <laughs> shepherd. They would bring a shepherd in with his flock and let them spend some time on their land. And as the sheep were there, they would make the land better, those of the golden hooves. And so these sheep, they would go in and they would groom the lawns. They would bring health to the pasture that they would frequent. And they would fertilize the ground. You know how they fertilize the ground? Y'all know what fertilizer is, right, in its original form? Y'all want to know what organic fertilizer is? You want some organic fertilizer? It's called poop. So they bring these sheep in there. This is barren land, and they had let the sheep eat and poop on their land. And as they did that, the land got better. Beloved, even your poop is productive. Everything that comes out of your life, listen, everything that comes out of your life should be productive. Even the worst things that come out of your life should be productive. 
We're, we're told this, that sheep have the, the, the perfectly, like, pH balanced or something, some kind of scientific thing of, of poop of all other livestock. If you could just get a, sh- a sheep pooping in your lawn, it'll look better. Some of y'all need to hire a shepherd. This is the thing. A sheep nurtures the place that nurtures them. See, the, the grass is greener on the side that you nourish. Well, if I had a better job. Well, how about you just let goodness and mercy flow on the, at the job that you have? See, I, I see this in church sometimes. Mm-hmm. Here we go. You know, people, what I found is, is that the people that complain the most, that have the most negative attitudes in church, are those that don't do anything. They just show up. You know what they do? They complain. Can I make a suggestion? Can I have your email address, Pastor? I need to have a meeting. But that's all it ever is. It's never like, hey, I'll volunteer in the nursery. It's never, I'll join the greeting team. It's never, I'll show up Saturday not to pray. It's always those that just kind of show up every once in a while. You always do this, the church will grow. We'll grow if you get in here and start eating and pooping. But you know what I found is the people that give the most, most of their time, most of their money, when they invest themselves, those are the people that are most blessed. Listen, this has nothing to do with my agenda. This is just the way it is. It's called leading your heart. You just invest yourself. and you. Some of you are at your job. Come on. You need to let goodness. You don't have the perfect job. There's not much grass there. Doesn't look very nice. Not very comfortable. I don't like the work. Don't like the people. Rah, 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 rah. No wonder you hate it. All you ever do is complain. I bet they don't enjoy you very much either. But listen, you start letting goodness flow. We're not just talking about you be a good, nice little Christian. We're talking about you bring your best. You don't just be your best, be on your best behavior. You also bring the best activity. You start being that shining star. Listen, beloved, you are the glory of God at your job. You're the glory of God at your home. What what does God's goodness look like? It looks like you. How well are you representing it? We are, as, as followers of Christ, we are the Bible that the world reads. So are you portraying a God who is full of goodness and mercy? Or a God that's mostly angry and harsh and bitter? What does God look like to those that you work with? Is goodness and mercy following you? Stop asking for a new scene or new scenario and start being productive where you're at. I think about Daniel. It says this about Daniel in Daniel chapter 5 that Daniel had an excellent spirit. He had a spirit of goodness. That doesn't just mean that he was a nice person. It also means that he was a man of excellence. That he paid fine attention to detail. That he was skilled. And he was invested in his skill. Did you know that he served in a kingdom? That, was, that wasn't his kingdom. It wasn't his people. 
It was a kingdom that was actually opposite of the kingdom that he belonged to. Yet Daniel went in and he served in that kingdom. And God promoted him. He also got thrown into a den of lions. But guess what happened? God rescued him. And then God promoted him. Because he had an excellent spirit. So it's your job. You show up on time. Oh, wait. You show up early. And you stay a little bit late. Why? Because you represent the goodness and the excellence of God. You're an ambassador for Christ. And you do that well. You give your best. You are the glory of God at a job that you hate. I bet you'll start liking your job more if you start seeing yourself that way. And then maybe God will give you a better job. Or a different job. Listen, everything that comes out of your life should be good. We're not talking about everything that happens to you should be good because you're going to have hard times. But everything that comes out of you is good because it's what's in you. Because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Everybody say this, I bring goodness. The second thing is we bring mercy. Mm. I don't like the people I work with. They ain't church people. Right? They cuss, right? How do you treat people that aren't like you? How do you treat people that don't vote like you? How do you treat people that offend you? It's the anthem of our culture. I'm offended, therefore I'm right. It doesn't make you right just because you're offended. It just means that you're offended. That's what it means. Do you bring mercy when you're offended? I'm offended that you're offended. Do you bring mercy when, they're, when you're offended? Do you bring mercy when they're offended? We're not going to win a world by being offended by it. We're going to win the world by showing them Jesus. By preaching the gospel for real. By preaching the truth. Come on. And by representing Jesus in the spirit of meekness and tenderness and love. Did you know that the greatest moment in human history has already happened? I think we've said this. God, the greatest demonstration of God's goodness and God's mercy has already happened. Everybody say, I bring mercy. So do you reflect a, a, a good and merciful God or a God who is mostly angry and offended? So... David says this, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Oh, see, goodness and mercy in your life doesn't take a day off. Not a day off. Doesn't take a day off. You remember the children of Israel, right? They get out of bondage. They go into the wilderness, which almost as bad as bondage. And they lived every day by what fell from heaven. Right? Manna. But God had a promise for them. And his promise wasn't for them to live in the wilderness. And they spent more time in the wilderness because they couldn't keep their mouth shut. So it's supposed to be like two weeks or something for them to pass through the wilderness. They end up staying there for 40 years. But God's promise was that they would go out of a land that everything fell. And they'd move into a land that flowed with milk and honey. This is how goodness and mercy come in our life. We don't wait for it to fall. We let it flow. Goodness and mercy comes out of your life. 
And we do it, listen, in every season. Every season. Every season, yes, even winter. Even 150-degree weather. Every season we produce. Well, I'm just going through a season. Beloved, as Christians, we go through seasons. But we do not live from season to season. We live from glory to glory. That's how we live. Will you have seasons? Will you go through seasons? Yes. But seasons are not the source. We don't live from season to season. We live from glory to glory. Psalm 1-3. We did a series connected to this in January called Roots. They're like trees, Psalm 1, planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. The Hebrew word there is every season. Their leaves never wither. There's no fall. And they prosper in all they do. They bring goodness and mercy. Why? They're like trees planted along the riverbank. Listen, Jesus has such incredible leadership. He establishes such a richness in you that you will bear fruit even when it doesn't make sense. People at work will be like, now I know what's happening to you. How are you still like, okay? How come you haven't run back to drugs? How come you haven't ran back to immorality? Because what's happening to you isn't good. It won't make sense. You'll be like, well, it's because I'm planted. I'm just planted. See, Jesus expects supernatural, impossible fruit. (sighs) Shady Jesus. Once again, you want to hear a shady Jesus story? There's a story they don't tell you in the news. All right. Mark chapter 11. Jesus was hungry. Mm. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he can find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Jesus, it's not fig season. You're not going to. Jesus, we know like you have the wisdom and we know that you're like the Alpha and Omega and everything, but we just want to inform you that we don't have figs this time of year. We know you're hungry and everything. Because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus, shady Jesus, then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat figs from you again. I'm offended. It says this, and the disciples heard him say it. <laughs> They're like, okay, Lord. Moving right along. Right? So Jesus freaks out on the fig tree. <laughs> I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. So Jesus freaks out. They, he goes into town, and he he's, he's just was pretty, pretty annoyed that day. Goes in, clears out the temple. It's a good Bible verse for you to memorize. Goes back. 
<laughs> he was hangry. That's right. That's good. That's good. He said that. I came up with that just now. <laughs> so Jesus comes back by the fig tree, and it says this later in the passage. It says the, the fig tree was all dried up and shriveled. That's not very nice, Jesus. He must have forgot his, like, what would Jesus do bracelet that day, right? Why? Because Jesus expects fruit all the time. You don't, you don't get to have a day off of bearing fruit. Well, I just lost it at work because I overslept by five minutes. I need a new job. You need discipleship. He expects supernatural, impossible fruit. How do we get there? Well, it's not that hard. It doesn't happen by being like, I'm going to be nice to everybody. No, you're just going to be frustrated. <laughs> please don't be nice to everybody. <laughs> Continue with your anger, please. <laughs> Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell In the Greek language, we get a new word for that, the word abide, but the Greek word is meno, I will dwell. See, I, I come to Overflow Church, I'm here most days of the week, either officing or here on Sundays or Saturdays or something, but I don't dwell here, right? I show up, it's great, it's awesome. I dwell over on Darby Town, that's where I live, that's where I'm meno. So he says, I will dwell in the house or the presence under the new covenant of the Lord forever. How do we produce fruit in our life in every season? How does goodness and mercy follow me? By being well connected to the presence of Jesus. See, all these things follow us because we're well connected to Jesus. We made his presence our dwelling. And he has made his presence known in our dwelling the way that I live. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 4. Remain. Everybody say Mino. Remain in me and I will remain or abide in you. For a, for a branch cannot produce fruit if, if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. How can I be more fruitful? Not by being more forceful. But I mean, being more focused on the presence of Jesus. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, apart, it doesn't matter what the world calls success. What matters is what he calls success. If I do all these things in my whole life, being forceful and ambitious, and I don't do it with for the kingdom of God, if I'm not seeking first the kingdom and I get before heaven and I got a truck full of goodness and money and all this kind of stuff and I pull up and I wasn't doing it for the kingdom and I pull up, he's like, none of that gets to come in here today. I'm sorry, son. I see where you worked real hard for it. Good job on being a hard worker, but none of it gets to come in because you weren't about me and you weren't about the kingdom. I wanted all those things to be fruit from your life, not forced. And that's why you're frustrated and miserable to get all that stuff and it don't even amount for anything. That we'd be so connected to his presence. That we'd be so in love with Jesus. I, told, I shared this with this the staff this week. 
sometimes I'll just like, when we do our, we have a digital staff meeting that we do every week, and sometimes I just try, try to just like encourage them, you know, not just be their quote-unquote boss, but really be their pastor. And, and so I, I said, listen, this is what I want you to do this week. I said, you need to have your meal times, right? You need to have a time where you sit down and you feast on the Word of God. You get into worship with the Lord for a few minutes. You, every believer needs to have that every day at some point in their day. You need to have a meal time with the Lord. But what I told him, I was like, you need to have some snacks throughout the day where you just take even just three minutes and you turn your phone off, you turn your computer off, you, you go outside, you go into a dark room, you, you get away from everything and you just close your eyes and you just think about the goodness of God. And you just, just pray until you sense the presence of the Lord. And then you don't just leave it there, you come out of that. With goodness. You come out of that with the fragrance of Christ, like we talked about last week, with that aroma following you. You know, I think about Peter. You remember how Peter was, man? We love those stories where Peter was just a mess all the time. Well, after Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts, he becomes like the leader of the church. The guy that's like denying Jesus is now like leading the whole church, Jesus' church. And so scripture tells us is that Peter would walk up the street and his shadow would fall on sick people and they would get healed. He didn't have to pray for them. He didn't have to fast for them. He didn't have to start a prayer chain. None of that. He didn't have to post on social media to get people to say they're praying for him when they weren't. So annoying. I'll pray. I'm like, do you pray? Can't tell me you pray. Shadow falls on people. They get healed. What did he do? He just let it flow. It's all about being connected to his presence. Following the good shepherd and staying in close, close connection with him. One last scripture, Ezekiel 47. Fruit trees of all kinds, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit from their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. 